following is a special KMOX Sports presentation. Welcome to the Strike Zone. Powered by Graybar, your source for electrical and data communication products for more than 150 years. Now, the Strike Zone on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, good to be with you here on the Strike Zone. we got a lot to do. We're going to get to building the future here in a few minutes. And what's on deck, of course, will be a four-game series against the Diamondbacks. Uh, what's on deck is sponsored by Chesterfield Fence and Deck. You can find them at chesterfieldfence.com. So it'll be the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks tomorrow through Sunday. Uh, tomorrow will be Dakota Hudson for the Cardinals and Humberto Castellanos making the start for Arizona. So that's what's coming up. That's what we're getting ready for. Um, I want to start this hour talking a bit about Paul DeYoung because a- as you guys can probably imagine, um, you know, the Cardinals Twitterverse is is upset uh, about Paul DeYoung's early season performance. Understandable. I want to dig into what's going on. Like, what is he specifically having trouble with? And And is it something, is it the same thing he had trouble with last year? Is it something that you can say it has been or is getting corrected or may may be corrected in the future. We'll get into that as we go through this segment. I want to start with the whole, the idea of, okay, so when do you start changing your plans, right? So the team is clearly invested in Paul DeYoung. We can, any one of us, you as a fan, me as a broadcaster, whatever, we can, we can disagree with it. We can see it a different way. There's nothing wrong with that. If you don't think that he should be starting now, okay. I mean, it's not a totally invalid position to take. It's fine. But what we have to operate from is a position of not what we think should happen, not what would we do, not what would we do in MLB the show, but what is the reality? And the reality is the team is going to give him a chance to earn playing time. They're going to give him a chance to perform. Now, I think we all agree, and I agree with all of you on this, there are limits to those chances. There is an expiration date on this. And there are alternatives already in place, so it doesn't require a trade or releasing the player or anything like that. We saw last year that Edmundo Sosa took over the shortstop job and did a really nice job, both offensively and defensively. And the team went on a 17-game winning streak, and Edmundo Sosa was right there in the middle of it. He He was a good part of it. So we know that there is at least a potentially viable alternative right there on the roster. You know, Sosa was a three-win player last year, if you want to use wins above replacement, and that was in essentially half a season's worth of at-bats. So this is a, a guy, again, he he contributed. And you know that he's there. And by the way, we're already starting to see Sosa get some more at-bats. Today was at third base, but you're, gonna, you're starting to see him creep in there a little bit more, and that's not going to change. I think you'll see more of Sosa so long as Sosa does a good job. But yeah, they're going to give it time. They're not going to rush and be on the schedule that a lot of us on the outside would like them to be. And you're going to be a happier human being when you come to that conclusion. Yelling about it's not going to change it. 
I don't think that DeYoung has a long leash here. Now, they do like his defense a lot. That's and, and this is a team that very much values defense. That cannot be discounted because on, from an offensive perspective, it's a very rational thing to say, well, just put Tommy Edmond at shortstop and you can call up Nolan Gorman. He can play second base. You're definitely going to get more offense that way. But you're, you're, you're taking a step back defensively in two positions there. Because while Nolan Gorman, by all accounts, has been perfectly fine as a second baseman, nobody has described him as a gold glover like Tommy Edmond is at second base. And while Tommy Edmond is a gold glove second baseman, we don't have any evidence that suggests that he would play anywhere near that level at shortstop. And clearly the team doesn't think that he would do that because they didn't leave him there. And they haven't put him back there in the major leagues. I mean, he's been there, but not very much. So there, the other part of this, aside from, I know the first thing everybody wants to get into, and it's fair to get into it, is it's DeYoung's contract. Right? He's going to play because he's got the contract. Eh, I mean, th- there's history there that suggests that that's a part of it. But it is also, this team prides itself on being elite defensively. With Edmund at second, and either DeYoung or Sosa at short, you have a really strong infield. And to go to the other plan to get more offense, you are clearly accepting less defense up the middle. And I'm not saying that that's not the right way to go. It might be. And at, t- at some point, Gorman's going to force it. Because Gorman hit two more home runs today. He's hit 10 home runs in three weeks. He's one of the hottest hitters in the minor leagues at any level. And, you know, he's hitting more than just hitting for power. I mean, he's hitting for a high batting average and all that. He will probably force the issue at some point, but that point is not likely to be this week or next week. It's probably a little bit deeper into the season because what they're going to want to see is how he maintains it, how he sustains things. Because, you know, if he's hot right now, most likely there's a cooling off period coming and you don't necessarily want to call him up when the cooling off period comes. I don't know that you can really predict those things. It's very difficult. Now, all of this is set up as guess, you know, kind of a preamble to talk about Paul DeYoung's performance so far. How does it look compared to last year? What are the things that need to be better? Okay, so a couple things to look at with Paul DeYoung. Um, he, he, he actually has a pretty good hard hit rate this year. It's, it's top third of the league, so it's all right. Now, there are some problems that are happening that are making that less relevant because what you'll see when you look at the breakdown of his of the balls that he's putting into play is that right now he has the highest ground ball rate of his career. Well, when you're again, people you have to understand this guys like ground balls in the major leagues are outs. With the way teams position their infielders, uh with how good major league infielders are, ground balls are mostly outs. But you combine that with another part here is that DeYoung's fly ball rate is higher than it should be. A fly ball, th- fly ball is okay. It's, you know, because some fly balls are home runs. But you need the line drive rate to be high and be more balanced. So what we're seeing with DeYoung, so like let's say you go back to the early part of his career. Go back to 2017, 2018 when he was pretty productive. 
His ground ball rate was about 32-33%. Fly ball rate was about 27-28%. And line drive rate was around 30%. Well, now it's 38-39% on the ground ball rate. That's a big difference. The fly ball rate is 35%. Again, pretty significant difference. And the line drive rate is down under 20%. So it used to be 28-29-30%. Now it's 18 This year, it's 17 and a half. So even if you're hitting the ball hard, if you're hitting it too straight up into the air or hitting it on the ground, you don't get production out of it. You get outs out of it. So you've got the batted ball profile. That explains how you can have a high hard hit rate but not have numbers. He has a high barrel rate too. He's in the top 20% when it comes to barreling the ball. But... You're not getting the production out of it. And the other thing that's hurting him a lot is his strikeout rate and his whiff rate. Now, the whiff is not a strikeout. The whiff is just swings and misses. He's in the bottom 10% in Major League Baseball so far this year in swinging and missing. Um, bottom 5% in strikeout rate. And and there's one real strong reason why. Because Paul DeYoung, at this point, is not hitting anything that's not a fastball. If you throw him something that's not a fastball, he's not hitting it. This year, that is really kind of a literal interpretation. So let's take a look at this. So this year, 2022, Paul DeYoung's hitting 278 against the fastball and slugging over 500, slugging 556. That's Those are pretty good numbers. Here's the problem. Only 44% of the pitches he's seeing are fastballs because teams have realized, huh, If we throw him all breaking balls and off-speed pitches, he doesn't hit them. So far this year, against breaking pitches, Paul DeYoung is 1 for 15. He's hitting 067 on breaking balls. On off-speed pitches, which are basically change-ups, I think split fingers probably count in that too. He's batting 0-0-0. So when you combine the two, he's 1 for 22, and it's a single. One for 22 with 11 strikeouts on non-fastballs. So on anything that is slow. Change-ups, curveballs, sliders, whatever. It's kind of a problem. And, you know, what's, what's concerning is it was pretty much the same case last year. Last year, Paul DeYoung hit 263 and slugged 505 against fastballs. Guys, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he hit 126 and slugged 277 against breaking pitches last year and hit 118 while slugging 235 against off-speed. So again, forkball splitters, mostly that's mostly change-ups, though. So that's two years in a row. That's this year and last year. But again, this year it's very small sample size. So I don't know that we can draw the conclusion that it is going to be that way, but because it looks exactly like it did last year, I think there's good reason to be skeptical. For Paul DeYoung to be an everyday player again, and I mean like, you know, not he's already a good defender. He has power. We know that he can hit the ball over the fence. But for him to be a productive everyday player in the major leagues, those numbers against breaking balls and change-ups have to be better. And, and, and we'll close this segment on this note. 
You go back to earlier in his career, he used to see 60-65% fastballs. He saw a lot more fastballs than he saw off-speed pitches 2017, 2018, 2019. And what you see as his career has gone along is teams are throwing fewer and fewer fastballs to Paul DeYoung. And it's not a coincidence that as he's seeing fewer fastballs, his numbers are getting worse. Because, again, the game plan against Paul DeYoung is we're going to throw him all the off-speed pitches in the world because he's not hitting them. He didn't last year, he didn't in 2020, and he's not now. And that's something that needs to change for him to be an everyday player. Otherwise, the team's not going to have any choice. They're going to have to go to Sosa. And if that doesn't work, well, then maybe you see the Edmund sliding over and, and Nolan Gorman sliding in at second base. But the timeline on that is not going to be super quick. They're going to give him time to show that there are changes. But I think that's the problem right now. Until DeYoung starts to hit breaking balls and, and change-ups, even a little bit, it's going to be really hard. And as you see now, he's striking out 50% of the time on breaking balls and change-ups, and he's 1-for-22 so far this year on that, compared to 5-for-18 against fastballs. All right, we're going to come back. I, I want to talk a bit more about the bullpen. Um, I, I, I think that we're seeing some great things in the pen. Now, not everything is great. Um, you know, last couple outings for Gio, Giovanni Gallegos have been a little bit um, rough. He's not getting as many swings and misses as he used to. But boy, is Ryan Helsley stepping up. Let's talk a bit about the makeup of the pen and, and what we might see here in the upcoming games next on KMOX. All right, so let's talk about, about the bullpen. Um You know, there, there's been a lot to like about the bullpen so far this year. It's not been perfect by any means. And yeah, I'd say, uh, you know, the Gallegos' last couple of outings have been a, a little concerning um, and to the level that you have concern at this time of year. I know, uh, depending on, I guess, depending on your personality, who you are, and how freaked out you get about things, maybe you have more concern than, than say, I do, for example, because I'm not a freaker outer uh, really about anything. I'm not worried about it. I think it's just easy to point out that Gallegos is not striking out as many people as he used to. Um, he's given up, for example, eight hits in seven innings this year. That's a lot for him. Um, you know, he's had a lot of a lot of pitches fouled off. He's not finishing batters. Again, not really saying any of this as a criticism. Uh, and, and really, it's you know when you when you look at a reliever, just you know, seven games of a reliever. I mean, all it takes is one or two performances to throw everything out of whack, right? I mean, if you look at Gallego's first five outings, two hits and no runs in five innings. <laughs> like, there's nothing to worry about there. In his first five outings, it was five and a third innings, two hits, two walks, and and uh, and five strikeouts. So, like, if you look at his first five outings, you wouldn't think anything at all was off with Gallego's. So the last two have been a little bumpier, that is concerning, but it's not, I mean, it's not panic time. I, I've had a bunch of people, I, people reaching out to me, a couple I've seen on Twitter, like, can't, you can't give him the next save chance. I'm like, okay, guys, look, he's made seven appearances. Five have been perfectly normal Gio Gallegos performances. Two of them have been not good. Can we not panic? 
I know that really kind of the message that I have tonight overall is like, can we just not panic? It's only we're we're we're, we're not even ten percent into the season. No, we are. We're right about ten percent into the season by now. There's plenty of time. But I would say that overall, the bullpen has been really a positive. Uh, Andre Palante has been a hell of a revelation. One earned run in nine and a third. He's throwing strikes. He's not not allowing a lot of base runners. Only 10 base runners in nine and a third. Struck out six. Not striking out as many as I thought he would, given his velocity and given the breaking ball. But he's been really good. And they've been using him in games that are competitive. They're not just using him you know, when they're up, up, up big or down big. I, I've been impressed by him. I mean, his, his career, I think, has been what I would expect from him. Aaron Brooks has struggled a bit. He struggled the other night. You know, he's already given up a couple of home runs in, in six innings of work. I mean, I, I think there are some concerns there. When Jake Woodford has gotten work, he's been good. He's, he's allowed one run, one earned run in six innings so far. And Cody Whitley's been fine when he's been called upon. Hasn't given up a hit or a run yet. McFarland had the one bad pitch the other day. And I don't even know how Brandon Nimmo hit that ball out. That pitch was like four inches inside off the plate. It was a ball, by, like clearly a ball. And somehow Nimmo kept it fair. It was ridiculous. But, I mean, that's that's the only run that, that McFarland has allowed. Whitgren's been fine. Again, the guy that you thought he would be. Seven appearances, five innings, only one run allowed. He's been fine. The guy, though, that's been really exciting to me, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he closes is, is Ryan Helsley. I mean, he looks unbelievably good right now. Yeah, the results are great, right? He's allowed one base runner in six and a third. One hit, no walks, 12 strikeouts in six and a third. And it's more than just numbers. It's it's how he's going about it. I mean, he is just dominating. Dominating with velocity, throwing strikes, and I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I mean, if you want to look at one of the things that's going on with this fastball too, fastball has got really, really big time spin rate so far this year. I mean, he's 94 percentile. So he's in the top 6% in spin rate right now. And obviously his average fastball is at 98.6 miles an hour. That's pretty good. But the, the, the thing that's been, I think, exciting for, for, you know, first of all, He's having more success with the fastball than he has in the past. Uh, but he's also having success with the cutter and and the curveball. Both of those have been quality pitches. Now, he's always had success with them, or at least he did last year. Uh, and he's throwing the cutter a little bit more often this year so far than he has in the past. And it's maybe it's just too early to, to even worry about that. And yeah, not maybe. It's too, or, too early to think of that as a pattern just yet. But... I mean, the ball is exploding out of his hand. And again, forgetting just the zeros and all that, I mean, the stuff looks great. The velocity is great. So you look at his ERA, right? His ERA is zero, 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 right? His expected ERA, based on the quality of his pitches and all that, is 0.19. <laughs> so, so it's not luck. He's been really good. And I do wonder... You know, because one of the things that, that Oliver Marmol has talked about in the lead up to the season is, right, we're not going to have a traditional closers role. Even though, let's be honest, even though that's how Gallegos has been used so far, he's been used pretty traditionally. They have said that 
Now, and I, I think it's important to really be specific when we're listening to what the manager is saying. He didn't say that necessarily that it was all Gio Gallegos. He didn't say that Gallegos would be wouldn't be used traditionally. He said that we won't necessarily use our closer or our best reliever the way that you would. Well, maybe maybe as this goes, the best reliever is Ryan Helsley. And maybe that's the guy that comes in in the seventh inning in a jam or in the eighth inning in a jam, blowing 98 to 100 and missing bats. Because even if you're not, you know, even if you are a little worried about, you know, the last couple of outings for Gallegos, and again, I wouldn't be. It's two out of seven outings. He's been fine in five of his outings. Doesn't mean that, you know, there's nothing to be concerned about. I mean, his strikeout rate was down a little last year from where it was earlier in his career, too. You know, we we still want to, even though the current usage or the, the recent usage in the pen when the team has a lead has been pretty traditional, it doesn't mean that Ryan Helsley won't get some of the most important outings or some of the most important innings, maybe the better way to put it. He may still end up being your highest leverage guy, whether he gets saves or not. But overall, I don't think it's really too difficult to note that the Cardinals bullpen as a whole has been pretty good. Uh, doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. Doesn't mean that every problem is solved and all that stuff, but it's been pretty good, man. And the other part that's encouraging, and I want to get into this a little bit more next up, as we're just, I'm, well, I'm using tonight's show, the strike zone here, just to kind of assess where we are. You know, by the way, Cardinals are 10 and 7. If you play at that pace all year, you win 102 games. Just so you know, I mean, I, I, again, small sample size, yada, 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 but. You know, you've won 10 out of 17. That's a 588 winning percentage. It's not 102 wins. It's uh, 95 wins. But, I mean, again, 95 win pace right now. That It's all about that perspective. You could, you know, I think, you know, rationally speaking, you could say, all right, yeah, you're 10 and 7, but you should be 12 and 5. That may be true. I think, you know, they, they obviously should have won the game Game one against the Mets, shouldn't have blown that. We had two defensive plays that could have fixed that. But again, fact of the matter is, if you play 588 ball all year, you'll win 95 games. There's nothing to sneeze at about 95 games. But I want to talk about the, the, the rotation right now. Obviously, you know, Jordan Hicks got knocked out of there yesterday by a line drive that hit him in the forearm. Hopefully everything's going to be just fine. The x-rays were negative. But I do think that and I've, I've said this all offseason, and I'm going to repeat it. The main thing they need out of the rotation is for it to remain intact. And so far, a lot of what we're seeing will be just fine if it stays this way. And we're going to talk about that next up here on KMOX. Welcome back to the Strike Zone, powered by Graybar on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, let's move on to the starting rotation so far. Um, I, I think, you know, look, we we talked about the rotation coming in, and I think the main thing, and this is, I mean, we don't have any way of knowing now whether this is going to be the long-term reality, but the main thing is you need the rotation primarily intact. Now, we know that Jack Flaherty's down. 
Um, you know, it's going to be a while before you see him again. I mean, we're April 27th and he has not started a throwing program yet. So, you know, keep in mind that when you haven't, you know, you haven't been throwing for a long time, you're starting at zero, which means it's going to take a long time to build back up. So like, even if we got word now, like, Hey, you know, Jack's going to start this tomorrow. You're still looking at four or five weeks between getting to the point of long toss and bullpen sessions and then live BPs and then going on a rehab assignment. I mean, he's a ways off. But the other guys are showing you signs that, you know, you're going to you, that they can be more stable than last year, which is really the point that I'm making. Not that yay, the rotation's amazing or it's going to be, you know, the Dodgers rotation or anything. Although I I do think that some of these guys have the potential to be better than what we've seen. The point of it really that I'm making is about stability. And last year, the rotation was as instable as I can remember it being since I started covering the Cardinals in 2006. And there were a few years here and there where it was like, oh, seven was pretty unstable. Um, but it's not that common for the Cardinals. They typically have a pretty stable situation with the rotation. Well, I think Adam Wainwright is fine. Like Again, he's had a couple of rough outings. He's had a couple of brilliant outings. I think he's fine as long as he's healthy. I think we know what we're going to get from him over the course of the year. Miles Michaelis has been exactly what you hoped. Exactly what you hoped. Now, he's not going to maintain a 121 ERA. There's going to be some regression to the mean there. But he's going out and he's giving you innings. And he's throwing strikes. I mean, he's only walked four batters in four starts. And, you know more strikeouts than hits allowed. He he's really looked good. Uh the first outing was a, a little bit bumpy, but the last 3 have been spectacular and a healthy Miles Michaelis gives you the guy that can go get innings, the guy that can keep you in games. I re- I mean I think I don't think we can we can, I don't think we can overestimate how important his presence can be assuming he's healthy and he sure looks great. I mean the ball's coming out of his hand. I think as well as it has since 2018, 2019. Steven Matz has been a little bit up and down. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. The first outing was pretty brutal. Uh, The second two were really good. And then today was meh. Had one bad inning. But, you know, look, as a starter, one bad inning is enough to, to mess everything up. But I'll say this. There are a couple of encouraging signs. One of them is that he's getting some strikeouts. He's getting people to swing and miss. 23 strikeouts and 17 and two-thirds. He needs to be better than a 6'11 earned run average, but I think that it's a given, and I'm sure he would agree with that. And then Dakota Hudson. Um, again, not always real smooth so far this year, but the last sign, last time out was a pretty good one. And, you know, he's he's not allowing too many base runners. His walks and hits per innings pitch just one 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 seven, which is again really good. Anything under one two is really good. Heck, even one two, one two five is okay. So the key with Hudson really is is how many base runners he's going to allow, right? Because uh, he's not a strikeout guy. He is going to get double plays. Obviously, he's a sinker baller, so he's going to get ground balls. But, you know, the main thing for him is Keep the ball down because when he's up, he gets hit and the ball goes over the fence. Um, but but mostly it's about limiting base runners. Can't have too many walks. Can't again. Can't be missing up in the zone and giving up extra base hits because you're not going to be able to make it up too often with the strikeouts. 
But I, I think there are signs there that Hudson could be could, should be okay, and he'll make his fourth start of the season tomorrow against Arizona. Those four guys are obviously critical because we have we we're in the unknown phase still with Jack Flaherty. Now Hicks has been pretty good in the two outings. He was pretty good yesterday until he got hit with that line drive comebacker. That's where things started to get a little bit tougher. And, you know, he came back out for the third inning and clearly just it had stiffened up and he didn't look right. And they went out and got him. But if he gets to the point where, you know, yesterday they were planning on him going four or five innings. I mean, he had already gone a solid three. And, you know, in in his previous outing, I don't know if he's going to get to that five or six inning thing regularly, but assuming he recovers okay from the line drive to the wrist, he's real. I think he's looked fine in that role. And, you know, you have enough pitching on the, on the, in the bullpen to cover if he is only going to go three or four. And I like the way that Woodford's throwing the ball. I think I, I mentioned Palante earlier in the bullpen. I think you have those guys in long relief and Woodford and Palante who, and, and I would say Brooks, but I, Brooks has been a little scarier to me. Not sure that that's going to work out longer term. I guess we'll see. But I, I am pretty, I'm feeling really good about what I'm seeing from Palante and Woodford in terms of guys that can go out there and get you multiple innings. If you look at the two of those guys combined so far this year, the two of them are 15 and a third innings and two earned runs. So, yeah, that, I mean, you're getting good work out of those guys when you're going to them. And I'm okay with those guys. I think, you know, th- there, there's reason to be optimistic about those two moving forward because they have stuff. And, you know, it's been weird to me. Like, Woodford, you know, he pitched earlier in the year than, you know, he pitched one inning in like 11 days. And now he pitched again today. And, and look, I think he looked good. He did. He gave up a run, but I think overall he looked good. And then you've got everybody else to piece together in the shorter stints, right? You got Whitgren and McFarland and and Whitley and Helsley and Cabrera and Gallegos. Like those guys are the ones that you're going to be piecing together in, you know, the more one inning stints. But the rotation stability is going to be number one. And we already know you're dealing with Flaherty being out, and Hicks is helping make up for some of that. Still, the one thing we're going to have to see from Jordan Hicks moving forward is fewer walks. You know, six walks in nine innings is a lot. <laughs> now, the good thing is Hicks is not giving up a lot of hits. So when you look at his, the amount of base runners he's allowing, you know, the, that walks and hits per innings pitch just 122, that's good. That's a fine, That number, he can survive with that. But if you get the walks even lower, you get to the point where maybe you can get to five innings on a somewhat regular basis. All right, we'll close it out by looking ahead to the four-game series uh, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's what we're going to get into next. That'll be our Building the Future segment, and we'll talk a bit about what you're going to see the next four days when we come back here on X. All right, final few minutes of Sports Open Line, and, of course, Strike Zone here in this hour. So let's get to Building the Future, sponsored by Gray Bar Electric, headquartered in St. Louis. It is a great place to work, and we are looking forward to a series this weekend starting tomorrow. It's actually a four-day weekend series. I don't know if that really counts, but I'm going to call it that. Against the Arizona Diamondbacks. So tomorrow it'll be Dakota Hudson making a start uh, against Humberto Castellanos. 
Um, you know, Castellanos is not exact, not exactly uh, a household name, and you know, not I, I mean, not really. He didn't really come up as a top prospect or anything along those lines. But um, interesting guy. Uh, he's done a pretty good job this year as far as managing contact. Uh, he's pitched twelve innings now. He's worked a little bit as both a starter and a reliever, so he's not necessarily a traditional starter. Um, he's not what you would call a hard thrower. <laughs> His average fastball is 89 and a half miles an hour. So you're not going to see velocity from, uh, from Humberto Castellanos tomorrow. You're going to see, uh, a wide variety of pitches. He throws four or five pitches, three different versions of a fastball, right? He's got the four seam. He's got the sinker. Uh, he'll also throw a slider changeup curve. So you're seeing a lot of different looks, but most of his pitches range from 83 to 89 miles an hour. So not a lot to be, I wouldn't say excited about. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, concerned about. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to come out here and blow you away, but, you know, he's been having some success early this year and you haven't seen him yet. So it'll be interesting to see how the Hudson Castellanos matchup goes. But you got two guys that are more pitch to contact guys in tomorrow night's game. How about Friday night, man? Friday night, 7-15 game early in the year. How about Adam Wainwright against Madison Bumgarner? How's that sound? I think that sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? What's funny is they feel like they're the same guy, except that Wainwright's like eight years older than Matt Bum. But And look, by the way, Bumgarner's throwing the ball better this year. Um, from what I saw in one of his starts here earlier, the fastball is, has ticked up a little bit. Um, he's had some success this year early on. Now I will say I like that matchup for the Cardinals because they match up really well against left-handed pitchers. So how about that night, right? You'll have Wainwright and Bumgarner. Obviously Yachty will catch Albert will be in the lineup as the DH against the left-hander. That ought to be a lot of fun. And again, Mad Bum is looking a little bit better now than he has in recent years. So should be something interesting to look at the Wainwright Mad Mad Bum matchup. Coming up on Friday, on Saturday, Miles Michaelis for the Cardinals against Merrill Kelly. Uh, again, Merrill Kelly, a lot like some of the guys we talked about. He's a guy that pitches to contact, not a big strikeout guy. So, you know, not necessarily, again, not, I, I wouldn't expect to see that game Saturday afternoon be a strikeout fest on either side. And then as of now, Sunday is set to be Jordan Hicks against Kyle Davies. So every guy that you're getting from Arizona is a pitch-to-contact guy this weekend. I mean, Mad Bum is not a big strikeout guy at this point in his career. He'll miss some bats here and there. And actually, you know what? Merrill Kelly will, too, from time to time. He's just not a super hard thrower. So you don't, you're not going to see anybody on the other side bring in 95-plus. You know, Castellanos is, is under 90. Bumgarner's around 91. I think Merrill Kelly's right around that same thing, like 91, 92. And then Davies's fastball will, will top out in the 80s. So not going to see a lot of big velo this weekend. Should be interesting to see how the offense handles that. And, boy, the Cardinals get a little bit lucky, too, on the matchups. Uh, their former prospect, Zach Gallon, one of the guys they traded to the Marlins, and then the Marlins turn around and traded uh, Gallon to the Diamondbacks for Jazz Chisholm. Uh, Gallon pitched today, and man, he is throwing the hell out of the baseball. He threw six shutout innings against the Dodgers today. So Cardinals don't have to worry about seeing Zach Gallon this weekend. But you are going to see four guys that should give you the opportunity to put the ball in play and guys that maybe you can do some damage against. 
the Diamondbacks starting rotation, their guys have come out pitching pretty well this year. There's some good numbers there. But you're not going to be overwhelmed by stuff. Should see some balls put in play. Should be interesting to see how the matchup goes. So tomorrow night, Hudson and Castellanos, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, game one of a four-game set. We'll have the pregame coverage starting for you at 5.50, first pitch at 6.45. All right, that's going to wrap it up for me tonight here on the Strike Zone as a part of Sports Open Line. we got Hancock and Kelly coming up next. No, what do we got? I can't remember. Hang tight. More news coming your way on KMOX.